Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Detectives from the major investigation team have now launched a murder investigation following the death of Natalie McNally in Lurgan. Natalie McNally was attacked and stabbed to death on the 18th of December in her own Lurgan home. She was 15 weeks pregnant. This fatal attack has therefore resulted in a double tragedy. The death of a mother-to-be along with her unborn baby. Like this was an innocent girl and our baby, life. And I have to thank God in her last few minutes, was she pleading for her life? Was she pleading for her baby's life? What was, what was her last few minutes like? As we publish this podcast, no one has been charged with her murder. I believe that Natalie knew her killer. I believe that there was a pre-existing, um, some form of relationship with her killer um, and someone that she was um, content to allow into her home. So I believe this was a targeted attack towards Natalie McNally. And Northern Ireland remains one of the most dangerous places in Europe for women. Northern Ireland has the joint highest female homicide rate in Europe. Stormont fell silent when First Minister-designate Michelle O'Neill hosted a vigil for Natalie. Everybody in society has to redouble our efforts to end violence against women and girls in memory of our sister Natalie. I'm joined by our crime correspondent, Alison Morris. Alison, once again, you're very welcome to the studio. This is another very unfortunate story, to say the least. Yet another woman murdered in her own home. Yeah, and Natalie was the the fourth person to have been murdered in their own home last year in 2022. And, you know, it's taken up an awful large part of my work as someone who reports on on crime and and the the fact that I've been reporting on femicide for so long. And every time you hear of another killing, you wonder when this is going to stop and what is going to be done to prevent it. We do have, you know, the PSNI have their own strategy in dealing with violence against women and girls and that will be rolled out over the next five years. But the Stormont executive, who had promised a, you know, a, a strategy against violence against women and girls. It was never delivered and now we have no executive. And, you know, every time that I write about this or I post about this on social media, you get an influx of people coming on with not all men and there are more men murdered than women. And that is true. Last year in Northern Ireland, there were 20 people murdered and 19 of them were murdered by men. Um, So while men make up the large number of the people who die in violent crimes, they're murdered by other men. That is the difference. Whereas when women are murdered in their own home, they are almost entirely exclusively murdered by other women, uh, or other men, sorry. And 
it's almost always by someone who is known to them. I'm still keeping an open mind, but my main line of inquiry is that the murder was committed by someone that Natalie knew and indeed was comfortable allowing into her home. And that appears to be the case in this instance. Now, can we say, and I have to warn anyone listening, that uh, especially anyone who may have known Natalie, that this is certainly not, it's horrific what we're about to say, but what happened, Natalie? And I would, yeah, and anyone, you know, listening in cars or whatever, I wouldn't have children around if you're you're listening to this. Look, Natalie was a very popular young woman. She was a really vibrant young woman. Her family will say fiercely independent. She had, but also very close to her family. When she bought her own home, she bought one less than two miles from her parents' house. You know, she didn't move to Belfast, the big city. She stayed close to close to Lurgan and Craig Avon, where her home was. She was very close to her three brothers and extremely close to her mother, who described her as her best friend. The The day that Natalie died was the day that most people will remember because it was the day of the World Cup. And she went to her parents' house along with her brother and they were watching the World Cup. They were cheering on Argentina. And her parents, and I, I spent a considerable time with them this week, said that there was no indication that there was any, not only anything untoward, but no indication that she was expecting anyone to call that night. Because if anyone remembers that football match, it went on for a bit. It went into extra time, it went into penalties. And then she waited until she seen Messi lift the cup. So her parents say, you know, her mother said there was no rush. She wasn't saying, you know, a friend's calling, I'm going to have to run on here. She hung around and her mother was giving her, um, you know, wrapping paper, giving her, and she said her last image of her was her walking out the door with her arms full of all this stuff that her mother had given her to take her home with her and her dog, River, who she was her constant companion. And she said, I'll see you Monday or Tuesday. On the Tuesday, Natalie was due to have a scan, a 15-week scan. She was diabetic. She'd been diagnosed with diabetes when she was three. And um, as a diabetic, they were taking a very close watch on her in the maternity hospital. And she was having very regular scans. And she had hoped that this would be the scan that would tell her whether she was having a boy or a girl. Because at this stage, she wasn't aware. But she was incredibly excited to be pregnant. She was taking it in her stride, as her parents said. They were more worried about it than she was due to her health condition and her diabetes. But she was, you know, completely delighted. And also, it was going to be the family's first grandchild. So there was a lot of chatter about that going on in the house. And off she went. And there was... When Natalie didn't call on Monday and she would have been a regular caller to her parents' house um, in Craigavon, she'd have been there, you know, five days out of seven. Her mother says she, she didn't think anything of it because she knew she had the scan on the Tuesday and thought, well, she's working from home, she's probably a lot going on and she'll call on Tuesday to tell us how the scan went to see if she has any more, you know, biz for us in, in relation to what's happening with the baby. And on Monday in the early hours then, of the Monday going into Tuesday morning, her parents then received a knock on the door from two plainclothes female police officers. She asked could they come in and they come into the house. They asked them to sit down and they told them that Natalie was dead. At this stage, they didn't tell them that Natalie had been murdered. They just said that Natalie was dead. Her parents told me that they thought she'd maybe had a hypo or fell downstairs or banged her head or something. Never in their wildest dreams did they think that anyone could be violent towards um, Natalie, who was a tiny, tiny little thing. And I I can't even, you know, I stress this enough because, you know, Natalie's mum, Bernadette, is a very petite, very small little woman. But in the pictures that the family were showing me, Natalie was a good half a head smaller than her. So this was a tiny little, you know, seven stone girl. 
um, really vulnerable in terms of her size. What police do believe is that sometime around 8.52 a man is seen on CCTV entering Silverwood Green, which is where Natalie lived. He enters it on foot and there is other CCTV which police haven't released, which is incredibly grainy, which shows him going to the front door. Unfortunately, because of the way her front door is angled, you can't see whether he knocks the door or whether he just opens the door um, and goes in because we know Natalie hadn't been that long home. She'd run upstairs. There was still some stuff in the car that her mum would give her. Was she intent on coming back down again, grabbing the stuff, locking the door? And... Her mummy also knew what she was wearing when police described it because she said she specifically had said to her daughter, God, that wee dress is lovely on you, you're looking lovely today. And she was still wearing that dress. She had a dressing gown put on over the top of it, which, um, you know, she thinks she's been into the house. The house obviously been freezing. It's been December the 18th. She's put that on while the house was warming up and that was her. She was found. She was found. It wasn't found until the following day, but police believe she had been killed on the Sunday. I would like to direct people's attention to the CCTV footage that we previously released. I believe this shows Natalie's killer and I am asking anyone with any information to do the right thing and to speak up. The circumstances of her death are horrendous. Um, The family were later told that she had been murdered, that she had been stabbed, but then they were given further details of that. She had also been very badly beaten around the head. She had injuries to her neck, which would indicate that the person had attempted to strangle her. And then they took a knife from Natalie's own kitchen and they stabbed her a number of times. Um, and there was a lot of blood. It was a very horrific crime scene. Her father had to look several times when he tried to identify her body before he could even identify her. Her body was that badly damaged and they couldn't have an open coffin or her mum couldn't hug her. And these are the things that when we read headlines about these sort of killings, you remember that there was this family at the centre of this, this tiny, gentle, little popular girl that this happened to. And also remember, she was also 15 weeks pregnant at that time. And the family did find out that Natalie was having a wee boy, but they didn't find it out from a scan and a happy condition and her, you know, bounding in through the door, all excited to tell them. They found them because the post-mortem that was carried out on her and her um, unborn baby was able to tell them that it was a wee boy. We don't know whether the door we know the door wasn't forced we don't know if the suspect was allowed into the house or found the door open we do know from witnesses that they appear to hear what they described as a row but that's a very um, open word I suppose we don't know exactly what's entitled and we do know and this is again this is a very disturbing detail that Natalie's injuries included what are described as defensive wounds, which uh, is how the police normally describe when someone tries to defend themselves. Yeah, it means you have injuries to the backs of your arms and your hands where you've tried to put your hands up and defend herself. And that's what our poor parents are left and our brothers are left wondering, you know, was she crying enough for only, only for her life, but crying for the life of her, her baby as well? In those last hours, there was reports when police did door-to-door of people having a heart array. And, you know, since I found that out, I've been talking to so many friends about that. You know, if you hear your neighbours having a row, do you report it to the police? I mean, I think if I heard someone who was clearly in distress, I, I would. But, you know... Would you hear people having raised voices? Do you report it? And this is like a, you know, it's a, a dilemma, I suppose, for a modern time. And, you know, you do feel for anyone that now has to live with the fact that they did hear that round and didn't report it until the police 
came in and spoke to them. But what we do know, and this is dating and facts, is we do know from the CCTV that that person was seen at 8.52 walking into Silverwood Green and by half nine they were already leaving. The row was heard around nine o'clock, so whatever happened in Natalie's home happened very quickly. It happened very quickly from the arrival of this person. The row has started clearly almost instantly. And there was a time, I think, over a couple of weeks there, it looked like the police weren't really making much progress because we have had two people, both 32 years of age, who were arrested. One was later, later released and the police have been very clear to say that that person has been completely exonerated and has no, nothing um, to do with their investigation anymore. The other person is on, on police bail and that investigation ongo- is ongoing. But, you know, last weekend we had a sort of flurry activity. That would have been three weeks to the day since Natalie um, had been murdered. And there's a reason why the, that action took place then. So police went back to the scene. They did a leaflet drop. They, you know, stopped cars. They knocked doors. They tried to jog memories. The week since then, obviously, we had Christmas and the New Year and people were not going about their normal routine on a Sunday as they would have. I suppose the Sunday um, that they did do the leaflet drop was the first week that people would have got back into their normal work routine. So they were trying to mimic, I suppose, as, as close to the circumstances that were existing at the time and anyone who may have been travelling at that time um, to try and jog memories and see if anyone has any CCTV dash cam, anything like that. Although we're told that there are 3,000 hours of, of CCTV that have already been gathered and are being painstakingly gone through. Since Natalie's murder, my detectives have conducted over 200 house-to-house inquiries. We've seized over 3,000 hours of CCTV footage, which we are in, in the process of examining. We've also submitted over 50 items for forensic examination. They also removed a car for um, further examination and this is something that is key because while the person who police believe is the main suspect in this case and the CCTV is widely available online and has been linked to every story that's been um, published about this but they do believe now that that person did drive to um, Lurgan and parked their car elsewhere and then walked into Natalie's housing development and walked to her house. And I do think that there is, there's clearly a lot of concern because I cover these kinds of murders quite a lot and there's a pattern to them. The person is usually arrested very quickly, within 24 hours. In this case, because there's been no one charged and the weeks are passing by, it is creating so much concern and worry, I think, specifically in that county or in my area. And, you know, Natalie's family even said that they have been told um, by one young girl that she's moved out of her house and moved back into her parents' house because she's so afraid on her own now in her house. You know, people have told me that they're constantly checking doors and windows and that is, I suppose, where the police are feeling the real pressure because while they have tried to say, look, this person was known to Natalie, this was something that we believe was very personal in terms of whoever it was who went to Natalie's house with that intention or whatever happened when they got to Natalie's house, but that's not going to really alleviate the fears and concerns of women in that area because there is on the loose a man who stabbed and beat a pregnant woman and that is terrifying. He's There's a man out there who's capable of murder but the police for some reason are assuring people that they don't think that there's much to worry about but that seems rather strange. I think that what we, we jump to conclusions in these cases and social media is a curse for this whereas people believe that the police aren't maybe on top of this or aren't doing their, their job correct but it's, there's there's complications in terms of forensics and DNA and all of those sort of things. But I remain confident, as does Natalie's family, that they will get a suspect arrested because 
we live in a very different time now and we live in a time of digital footprints and phones leave footprints all over the place. Wherever you are, your phone is pinging against a mask somewhere. Um, your phone will leave a trace of you. Cars, regardless of whether it's your car or a car you've borrowed or any other kind of car, there are a number of plate readers um, and uh, traffic cameras all over the place which will pick up people going to and fro. There's patterns of behaviour. There is forensics. Um, the fact that this killing appeared to be quite frenzied in terms of how it was carried out and police have the murder weapon would indicate that there is DNA somewhere. And so, I mean, they remain confident and and they have to put their faith in the police and the detectives because that is the only way they're going to get justice for their lovely Natalie. And, you know, in, in this circumstances, they're they're in a state of limbo at this point in time because their grieving process can't move beyond that. When someone, someone is charged and there is a court case pending, well, I know from, you know, interviewing families in the past, that's a whole different stage of the grieving process and the nightmare that they live through. But right now they're stuck and they're sort of trapped in a position where they're just waiting every day on news. And, what I would like to say is, you know, I was in Natalie's parents' home this week and I've been doing this, I think it's 23, 20, maybe 24 years, 23 years this year. I have never been made more welcome than I was in Natalie McNally's house. It is the warmest, most homeliest, most lovely people you could possibly meet. They're such family people. They were so excited to have a grandchild. Natalie's mummy was saying, she said, dear, you know, I'm going to get me on prom and I'm going to take this child out walk around the lakes and, you know, you're probably going to have to end up going to, get, going to court and get an order to get your daddy to give you that baby back when you leave, leave them here because they were so delighted and so excited. But such lovely, decent people, they don't deserve the nightmare that they're living through. You know, her mum says that she puts off going to bed at night and then when she does, she wakes up and for that second you forget and then she says the nightmare just kicks in and starts all over again. And, you know, they really do need, I think, to have not just justice for Natalie and to know that the person responsible is going to face the consequences of that. But the fact that that person is capable of such extreme violence means, you know, that the prison is the only safe place for them. Femicide in Northern Ireland. Do we have a particular problem here? Well, we we have one of the highest rates of femicide in, in Europe. I think that statistically, I think it's Romania is probably the only place that has a, a higher rate of femicide. We're a very small society and a very small community. And I, I, I honestly think there's historic reasons for that. If we look back at our conflict and what kind of way that our society was run, it was very male, it was very patriarchal. It has been called in the past an armed patriarchy, which is, is what it was. And we do have a real issue in terms of how the judicial system works in dealing with this kind of violence. In Natalie's case, I suppose we have to say it's different in that there was no indication or she hadn't told her parents, you know, there was no um, past history that they have known of any kind of domestic situation. But in a lot of these cases, when I'm reporting on them, the women have previously had, you know, multiple reports of domestic violence. There are non-molestation orders or restraining orders in place. Um, there has been periods of stalking. All of those things go along with it. And our justice system works so slowly that the person who's um, committing those crimes often doesn't see the consequences of them for a very long time after they have happened. And that is a real issue. Because, you know, there has to be consequences to their actions and people have to feel safe. And, you know, in fact, 
our new Lady Chief Justice, Siobhan McKagan, who I know was making real efforts to try and, and shake up the justice system just before Christmas, had training for senior judges in terms of how they deal with the sentencing and sentencing remarks that they make in cases of domestic violence and sexual abuse. Um, and that was obviously linked to the comments that were made during a, a very you know high-profile sexual abuse um, court case where a judge told someone that, you know, they should settle down and, and find a wife and calm down. Um, and so, you know, we have that. and there So there is progress and things are changing. And, you know, I have seen the judiciary, as time has gone on, take these matters more and more seriously. The police have really changed in terms of how they do. And there's a lot of training going on with Women's Aid and other, other um, people to make sure that people do get a, a good outcome when they phone the police. Um, and also we have the, the new domestic abuse um, uh, legislation which came into place just before the Assembly term finished last year. There has already been um, a few people who have been charged with offences under that new legislation. Our justice system works so slowly that those cases haven't progressed. But when some of those cases do progress, it will be interesting from you know from my point of view to look and see what impact that legislation had. Does it mean that there's tougher sentencing? Does it mean that there's more restrictions put on them after release in terms of orders that are placed on them? Um, and so all of those things I think are are really important. I mean we're separating now I suppose not least case from the wider problem, but the wider problem of you know violence against women. It isn't, and you have only to look. Look, I have you know a group chat with with other girls and other journalists, female journalists in it, and you know we sometimes joke that it's like you know the countdown clock, you know that didn't didn't, and if we post about violence against women, it's always we'll have a winner here because it's within before that countdown clock could finish. I guarantee you, I will have some man in my comments going, well, what are you planning to blame men for? It's not all men's fault. It's not. And we know that. Natalie had, you know, a father and three brothers who would have laid down their own life for her. He would have gladly given their life in exchange for hers. We know it's not all men. But the fact that you have to come on when somebody has been murdered on social media and make a case for the brotherhood instead of accepting that there is a real issue with male violence against women means that you're part of the problem. You're not part of the solution. But I wonder, I mean, in your experience, and we're looking at that legacy and you've, you know, is it for religious or cultural or historical reasons that perhaps there's an inability to control emotion in men here in particular, to control desires perhaps, to deal with, um, to deal with, I suppose, um, I suppose sexual issues, which other societies would consider more normal, but we maybe are somewhat repressed. Is there, to use a very cliched term, a, a toxic masculinity here in particular? I do think when you think about all that sort of paramilitary structures and also, you know, the the fact that we lived in a, a place that was policed in terms of security rather than placed in terms of those domestic and sexual offences, which were often left either unreported, undetected, or just weren't properly policed at all. I could show you some horror stories if I went through the archives of things that happened here just in the 80s and 90s in terms of those crimes not even being investigated or people who were going to report them, but the person who was responsible might have been linked to a paramilitary organisation and, and they were asked more information about that than they were about the crimes that had been committed against them. And all of that needed to change. But yeah, I do think that, you know, our, our society is too patriarchal. What we expect men to be and young boys to be is very different. And I think it's it's far from ideal. So, I mean, this is not not completely difficult or in order to try and deal with. I do think that what young people have now, which they wouldn't have had in my day, is they have 
on their phones access to free and extremely violent pornography, which would not have existed, um, you know, in the 80s and 90s. And, you know, dealing with that, I think, is a real issue. I mean, I don't understand why if all pornography wasn't made that you had to pay to view it, well, that would solve that problem instantly because it would only be an adult that would have a card that would be able to access it and it would take it out of children's circulation because, like, I've spoke to youth workers who are telling me that they have young women um, and young men who say, you know, their very first sexual experiences that there's people, you know, pulling hairs and spitting on them and all sorts of other things, which is something that they have watched in pornography and they believe to be normal because in pornography, sex is something that is done to a woman, not with her. And so those issues, I think, is something that we need to deal with in schools. And there's a real, I suppose, maybe religious um, repressiveness here where nobody wants to talk about those very graphic sometimes and quite difficult subjects. But, you know, when you look at even the like of the sort of Andrew Tate situation where those kind of figures can become, you know, very rich and very wealthy and very influential over young men's thinking. And a lot of that is, you know, to be a man does not require you to be misogynist or sexist you know you know the strongest men I know are the men who have been most supportive you know of of me and, and my daughters and the people who you know the women who exist in my life so to be manly does not mean that you have to be you know sexist or misogynist against women but all of that requires education in, in schools from a very early age and we don't have that at the minute and which should be structured and it should be structured in a way that even people know healthy relationships and know red flags and what relationships are definitely not healthy and that they should be getting out of as soon as possible. And uh, we, should, we should stress that uh, we've been speaking about the problem of violence against women and femicide in general terms in this section the of the podcast very, and yeah. not in direct relation to the Tragic case of Natalie. No, because the two cases, the two things are are, are completely separate, is in that the police are still investigating Natalie's killing. We will, I think, with the, the, you know, the passage of time, find out more and more details of that. But, you know, the, the issue of violence against women, which again is very separate, but it's one that Natalie's brother Brendan felt so strongly about that on Christmas Day he actually tweeted, you know, this violence against women and, and girls must stop. And, you know, he was grieving his sister, but at that time, you know, a week after her death, he felt it important to say that because the family told me, which is one of the things that I, I think was is at the point where you're trying to be professional, but I almost lost it. Our father, Noel, who is, you know, a man who was, she was complete apple of his eye he said this is something that Arnaldi felt really strongly about she was a real feminist she was a real campaigner and this was the kind of thing that she would have been outraged at and yet her mum says and isn't ironic that this is how she died Um, and it really is although I will say you know their home, you can tell, was such a happy home. But when they speak about Natalie, their their eyes light up. And one of the things which we all ended up giggling about, and you think laughing in, in such tragic circumstances, but Natalie loved animals. She loved music, she loved animals. Her dog was beside her constantly and she had cats as well. But after her death, when the forensic officers moved in, they said, we can't catch Natalie's cats. We know they're in, in the house but they're frightened and obviously they're under beds where everywhere. So these police officers are running around trying to catch these cats. And the, the daddy says that this officer came in and he sat down and he says, I have some good news for you. We found Natalie's three cats. And he says, Natalie didn't own three cats. Natalie only owned two cats. 
And her mum was giggling and saying, like, she's probably been feeding somebody else's stray cat. But the police were chasing around after three cats and Natalie owned two, only owned two. So we have still no idea to this point in time who it is. But that just, they, they just thought that summed up her character. You know, this is a woman that stray animals would have followed home because they could see the kindness in her. You know, I just, uh, just loved her, just loved her from the day she was born. And she was, she was every girl. And... It's so much part of our lives, isn't it? Nice is not like that's what really. Unimaginable. It's just I can't remember. I can't think see of a future. I can't see there'd be no joy in life now because it's, she's gone. Is there anything we should have mentioned that we haven't? I I do think that it's important in terms of of when these things happen that speculation on social media isn't helpful. I know people <clears throat> probably think they're being helpful by, by saying, well, this might have happened or that might have happened. But at the same time, as as journalists, I need to, you know, we need to stress to people, there are things that we might already know, but we just can't report. And we can't report for very good reason. It's not a cover-up or a conspiracy. It's to make sure that when the person who did this is caught, that they face justice and that they don't have any wriggle room and that we're not prejudiced in any case. And Nally's family are made very much aware of that. And they know that. They have faith in the police investigation. They are not in any way complained or concerned about that. But remember, when you're speculating on social media, that they know things that you don't know and that there is absolutely no reason on this earth that every aspect of an investigation should be made public if that is in any way going to cause detriment to the conviction at the end of it. So, you know, I would say to people, I understand that there's real concern and there's real stress, but there's a lot of things that might be going on behind the scenes that you don't know about or just can't be said. And remember, there's a family grieving here and a lot of that speculation doesn't help them. It really doesn't. And the job of the PSNI is to, and I'm speaking in general terms, is to secure a conviction, is to find the evidence to secure a conviction. It's not summary uh, arrest. That, that's what they're trying to do. So I think we have to see everything. Yeah, and I would I mean, be the first person to be critical of the police if they have messed up and, you know, and have done in the past and have been through police investigations where there have been, you know, at times things that have been missing or ombudsman reports. So this is not about protecting them. But I will say that, you know, in this case, the family have been assured that every available officer is working on this, that there was no Christmas leave, that that was all cancelled that they're working as quickly as they can to try and get this person charged and get them before the courts. And that is what I think that at this point in time, it's what's keeping Natalie's family going every day because they know that they must get justice for their beautiful Natalie. And to do that requires them not saying things that they probably would like to say. And it means, you know, people like ourselves not reporting things that we might like to report. But at this point in time, the key, um, the key focus of this has to be on getting someone who is capable of such violence and getting them charged and before the courts. Alison Morris, crime correspondent with the Belfast Telegraph, thank you very much. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar. The sound design was by Graham Davidson. The clips you heard were from Sky, UTV, RTE, and the BBC.
The best way to give someone a gift they'll never forget is to give a gift they'll always use. American Giant makes clothes that just keep getting better with age, like their iconic full-zip hoodie that's designed to last for decades. And a gift they'll wear for years is a gift that keeps on giving. But American Giant makes a lot more than just hoodies. They have impossibly comfy sweaters, classic T-shirts, soft, structured sweatpants, even classic everyday denim, all made right here in the USA, with a quality you'll have to feel to believe. Be a gift-giving giant this holiday season at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code GRATEFULAG23. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code GRATEFULAG23.